755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty out in fiery Seattle, smoke, smoky, ashy Seattle. What's up out there, Eric? That's the same, man. They keep telling us it's going to get better, and it's it's not. But getting yeah. used to it. Are you are you going out like smoking cigars since you're already like wrecking your lungs anyway? Yeah, I've been fishing. I've been fishing a little bit. They said it's about you know if you spend a couple hours out there, it's like smoking thirty cigarettes. But poor fish, you know, man. You subject the lungs. them. You bring the fish out of the water, and you subject them to that air. I think they're eating the ashes on the surface anyway. So <laughs> they probably are. Well, we got a special guest today. Uh, he's been on the show before. The create Mark, uh, make sure I'm, I'm I've got this right. Mark Simon, you're the creator of Defense of Our Unsaved, or I helped create it. What? No, not even none, none, none of the above. Okay, great. Uh, Let's start over again. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just call me a researcher for Sports Info Solutions, the company that created Defense of Our Unsaved. Oh, it come is- on now. You know you are. <laughs> You're the guru of defensive run save. Well, you work at the company that that created it, right? Yes. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. You're the man to go to for this stuff. And there's we got That's some a good. Fair way to put it. We got some good questions this, this time around too. Some things right, have cropped running. up. Well, let's just begin with the fact that the Braves take a lot of pride in their defense, and they have. Uh, they've pointed to, to it for the, the last few years since Alex Anthopoulos became GM and they really beefed up their analytics department and just emphasized all things analytics, including defensive positioning, uh, pitch framing, all these things. When he's made moves, it's to make, it's to, to make sure that they were strong up the middle defensively. And I, I think people would be surprised that after a really cu- a couple of good, really good defensive years, they've been pretty mediocre this year. Have you in in your research? Have you noticed that too? The kind of fall off with the Braves uh, metrically uh, with the advanced metrics defensively. Yeah, um, it's I think it's a problem universally in yeah. the National League East that the teams uh, were just not uh, performing up to levels that you would expect. The Phillies are a rough watch defensively. The Mets are a very rough watch defensively. Uh, the Marlins are, are like the best watch. The Braves aren't like – there's a lot of track record there yeah. with Enciarte uh, and Marquecas and Acuna even uh, from last year and Swanson at shortstop and Freddie at first base mm-hmm. and Tyler behind the plate such that I feel like this is 60 games or whatever it's going to, it's going to wind up being 60 games, uh-huh. but that if you played it out right. to 162, you would feel a little bit better about uh, where they were. Certain things I think would, would kind of establish themselves over a longer right. season uh, that would make you feel better about what kind of defensive team this was. Right. To the naked eye, the eye test, yep. the, uh, I would tell, I would say that Freddie has played his usual great defense. But he's also had a couple of plays that were kind of uncharacteristic where he missed a throw, uh, dropped a pop-up. Then they started a double play. I wanted to ask you how that affected it. But um, uh, And then Dansby Swanson has played exceptional at, at shortstop this year. But they've had obvious drop-offs at third base where Austin Riley, he'll make a spectacular play. And so you see it's there. He's really good defensively. But he also has you know quite a few errors and has missed a few uh, very makeable plays when Josh Donaldson last year was just behind what Arenado and Chapman, I think in defensive runs yep. saved. So, and then into Enciarte is not the center fielder that he was. He's not even playing every day right now. And Acuna, as good as he is in right field with that strong arm, he's it, to me watching him, he's just average in center field. So that's just, just watching him. Um, I don't know. And oh, and also, also Ozzy Albies uh, missed five weeks. So he's missed more than half of this season. Um, and like you said, if it played out for a full six months, yeah. they would they would make up a lot there. So, Eric, what have you thought just watching this team compared to a year ago? Yeah, kind of what Mark's saying, you know, like over a full season, I feel like things would level out. You know, I mean, guys have a bad couple weeks, bad month. They're off a little bit. You got a guy that's got an injury or something like that that he gets over. Uh, I mean, it definitely, especially third base. I mean, having Donaldson there last year was so nice. Yeah. But Freddie's looked good to me. I mean, the play he made the other day on he he yeah. made a play on a chopper that no other first baseman in the game I don't think gets this out. But he jumped up, came down with it, and kind of threw it sidearm and beat the runner by a step for a force out at home. Um, mm-hmm. Plays like that, you know, for him, I, I feel like he's always pretty damn good. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was wondering that about Acuna, um, just watching him to the eye. He doesn't look as effective in center. And I don't know, maybe Ender not playing every day is kind of hurting his defense a little bit. Yeah. So I'm, I would go back to Andrelton, and and I actually looked at this once uh, for him. The, oh, uh, again, over 162 games, you know, things happen. Freddie Freeman missing a ball in a 40-game season, 60-game season, means more than yeah, it would right. in 162, three where it's just yep. a little blemish. Andrelton had times where at the 40 or 50 game mark, he'd have like one defensive run saved. Yeah, and then by the 120 game mark, he'd have 15. Yeah. So it's not, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, the, the thing that I guess I would put the most stock in would be like the, the overall rank uh, and, and the, you know, the teams at the very top. Like we know that the Cardinals were going to be a very good defensive team this year. Uh, we knew that a team like the Dodgers was going to be a uh, were going to be a very good defensive team this year, and the teams at the bottom. You knew that the Mets weren't going to be good, the Phillies weren't going to be good. Nationals uh, have had trouble in the past. Uh, I think the rank is the kind of the most important thing at this point, and the teams at the very top and the very bottom. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Dansby, like I said, he's passed both the. Uh, advanced metrics test and the eye test. Cause he's just played really, really solid defense. Um, but like, like you said, Freddie, just a couple of uncharacteristic, like the other day, he missed a pop-up. Uh, it could have been ruled infield fly. It was one of those borderline, but he missed it. And then he had the wherewithal to gather it really quick and throws and starts a double play because it wasn't ruled infield fly. So it was a huge play. Uh, and no, I don't know of many other first basemen that do it, because they don't have the arm strength to get it. He throws, he, he can throw He's hard upper 90s. Yeah. So he, he and Dansby both made great throws on that play to have the old, what was it, a, a three, six, five double play. So, but, you know, he, he, he missed a, he, he dropped the ball on that. And he's also dropped, a, he dropped a throw in the same game. So it was really, it was a wide, little bit of an errant throw. Oh, I wanted to ask you. How much of like defensive runs saved and, and metrics and what you guys are doing, it depends if it does at all on what the score rules it. In other words, if a score screws up and doesn't call something an error that clearly was an error, does that even affect what you guys do? Or are you doing it on a different system that you, you don't even care what he calls it? So there are two scales to that um, with, with uh, the way that we do defensive metrics. Uh, the first one is very simple binary. Uh, did you get an out? Or did, you, or did you not get an out? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got an out, players get rewarded. Um, and actually, our system uh, is kind of interesting in that you can also get penalized uh, for an out. Like, if a ball went under the third baseman's glove, the shortstop fielded it through to first and got the out, the third baseman would actually get a little bit of a penalty for having <laughs> missed the ball. Uh, just a little quirk with, with what we do. Uh, but in the end, it just comes down to, uh, did you get the out? Like the play that you were describing with Freddie Freeman, in the end, they got, they got outs uh, uh-huh. on the play. They started double play. So there was, there was positive reward there. But uh, with our system and with what, regard what you said with errors, so we have like a secondary system. Uh, that looks at things like the the one that I think drives a lot of baseball writers and people that watch and broadcasters every day kind of nuts is the idea that that you can't assume the double play ground yeah. ball is short flip to second for one the guy uh, the the guy catches the throw right. and drops yeah. it right uh, we penalize for that baseball uh-huh. official scoring does not penalize for that yeah we penalize for the missed opportunity you didn't he, you were not saying he necessarily would have gotten yeah. the guy at first base but he missed the opportunity and we put a value on that and the second baseman would essentially get a demerit now there aren't going to be a lot of those over the course of the year mm-hmm. but there'll be a few and we do uh, take them into account so that is factored in uh into defensive run save it doesn't count for a lot but it counts for some yeah that's one of those stats that when people you know people that don't recognize like uh, any kind of advanced metrics, people that still recite like batting average instead of OPS, but that, that judge defense on errors, you know, you can't do that when you just for the, because this archaic way that they, they judge errors and not errors for one, there's two things that always, have always bothered me is when an outfielder misses a fly ball, but he misses it so badly that it doesn't touch him. So it's not ruled an error, but if it hits his glove, it's an error for the most part. I, I know that's up to the scores, but that's what they almost all of them do is like it didn't touch him, 
So it's not an yeah. error. And then the yeah. other one, and the other one is what what you just said. You can't assume a double play. So a guy's not penalized. Like Freddie made a really costly mistake in the uh, playoff game that they lost, game five, when yeah. they had a would be double play that he flubbed. But a guy's not penalized. It does not. It's not charged with an error or anything. So it doesn't show up in any of the, in the standard stats. And yeah, it, was but it could a, have changed the game. It was a huge mistake. Yeah. So you guys are recognizing that as at least as, as, as a demerit, right? Yeah, imagine it this way, too. Like the ball that the that you're talking about in the outfield. Uh-huh. Um, fly ball is center field. It's hit, I don't know, 300 feet at like 80 miles an hour. It's a can of corn, mm-hmm. and the guy slips and falls, and yeah. it drops in front of him. Um, we can tell you how often that ball is caught. Yeah. And that's, StatCast can do that, too. Like, that play has like a 95% catch probability, right? Uh-huh. So we penalize him for missing. Uh, he gets a 0.95 penalty uh-huh. for missing a ball that, that 95% of people should nah. play. But by the way, I, I looked up while, while we were talking here. I just wanted to get a list. Uh, most uh, botches in some way on a double play that weren't ruled errors um, just to show you that it, it does happen and not necessarily a lot. The most this year so far is the Padres with eight, followed by the Rangers, Indians, and Marlins with six. The Braves have three. Uh-huh. Uh, the fewest is one, a bunch of teams, the Reds, the Royals, the Rays, wow. the Yankees, and the A's. Uh, I'm looking to see if there are any zeros. I don't, I don't know if there are any zeros here. I don't think there are. But So uh, considering the season eight, has only been six weeks long, that's pretty yeah. radical that one team yeah. has eight and mo- a yeah. lot of teams have one. Yep. That's a lot of outs right there. Well, Padres, um, the Padres have, uh, and I don't have in front of me, I can see if I can figure out who they are, uh, but Tatis at short was uh, uh-huh. was very good at getting to balls uh-huh. last year, but he had trouble with other aspects right. of his game. Right. He's improved upon that yep. this season. He really has. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking, let's see if there's a leader here. Yeah, his defense uh, has improved so much since last year. I mean, Cronenworth. So Cronenworth has four oh, okay. uh, botches yeah. in some way on potential double plays. Yeah, uh, that's the most of anyone in the majors. Tatis has two. Uh huh. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, does, the it, does are, a guy like Tatis benefit from having a first baseman um, that can pick the ball? <laughs> I, I I was hoping you were going to. Say that, or that someone's yeah. gonna bring that up as follow-up. It is a. <laughs> this is gonna be dangerous here. It is a statistical myth that Eric Cosmer the last two years is good at scooping throws. <laughs> he actually isn't. Okay. Um, I know. I know that that sounds strange because the guy's history is such that he is. Right. Um, but he had a he had an issue. Uh, I know he had an issue last season. I'm, I'm looking to see uh, if that was reflected in this season's numbers. Um, but I think the answer to that would be typically yes. Uh, certainly. The guy who rates as the best scooping first baseman, by the way, is Freddie. Yes. Good. Well, he should. Yep. And he reach. Should. Like, I feel like uh, his extension he gets to get extra outs and, and his range around the bag is, is pretty good, too. We, we do. Um, we have what we call um, – Handles scooped throw, and then we have what we call handles difficult throw. And I think mm-hmm. that we would kind of come to a consensus on the difficult throw being that one where the guy kind of leaps off the base and Keeps has to try and take yeah. the runner on the way, on yeah. the way back. Where you can so break we, your arm or your hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, uh, so we give uh, credit for that. By the way, Hosmer this year is neutral. Uh, he's average in regards to the, the scooping stuff. And again, it's, it's, for him, it's like 30 games. But last year, he was poor, which was really weird because the previous five years, he had been really good. So, yeah, so you can't even play the argument that it's just a short season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Eric it, has talked about that a lot, about how infielders The like confidence Anderson, that you get, too. If they could just get it in the area of Freddie, you know, th- they could throw it hard and bounce it, and Freddie would, and they knew Freddie was going to scoop it. And he's also tall and long. And he and he's really good at extending. Now he doesn't do the splits like he used to as much when he's five years younger. He used to do the splits like once every other game, and you'd be like, "How in the world is he doing that?" But uh, you know, to extend and get that last, you know, one foot that he might not have got if he didn't do the splits. Yeah, 
but he doesn't do those anymore. But he's still as good as ever at picking the ball and reaching above and out. Like the, the catch he made the other day, they turned a phenomenal double play where uh, Camargo's throw to first was wide. Dansby made a great stop and, and a great turn from the outfield grass and threw to, to Camargo. His throw to first pulled was was up the right field line about, I don't know, 10 feet, and Freddie, eight feet. And Freddie, it looked <laughs> like, how in the world are you going to catch that and keep your foot on? And you had to he watch the it. replay like two or three times to realize his foot stayed on it. How, I don't know how yeah. he did it. He kept his foot on it while he fully extended but it was a great day of double play that I don't know that any other first baseman would have turned. So just to, to kind of put a bow on all this, um, we track like the botches and the successes at first base with scooping and, and handling mm-hmm. throws. Freddie only has one botch uh, since the start of last season. There are a couple of guys with zero, but they don't have as many successes uh, right. as he does. Uh, Hosmer has, I think it's nine botches. Well, I think seven or eight of those were last season. So well, uh, we're so trying to get list. Freddie the MVP. So <laughs> I was hoping we could we could have Hosmer be pretty elite at first base and and knock Tatis for that. <laughs> Let's hear from one of today's sponsors, Indochino. Hi, I'm the Athletics Joe Posnanski uh, for Indochino. You know, finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for. Somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy, it's tough to find anything that fits right. You know, I'm not really a large. I'm not really an extra large. I'm not really a double extra large. I'm not really anything. So it's obviously, it's fantastic. You go to Indochino. They have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself, uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know, what, what, uh, you believe about the infield fly rule. And, uh, and then you come out and, and they're, they're going to send you, uh, clothes that are, uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, casual wear, uh, at surprisingly affordable prices. Customize everything from the fabric and lining to the lapel shape and uh, monogram if you're a monogram kind of person. Uh, if you're getting married, Indochino is a no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget about the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everyone a tailored fit. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at checkout. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. JOE at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com, and the promo code is JOE. The Freddie for MVP thing, I am I think I'm in favor of it, too, in, in the right circumstance. I think the you know, the... Freeman Tatis argument is, Tatis is really cooled off. It's tough that it's tough though with war and wins about yeah. replacement for first base. Well, that's what uh, we because, want to ask you about. Yeah, because they get dinged because they're playing a position where, like, the average first baseman this year I think has an 800 OPS, mm-hmm. um, which is the highest, and it's the, and the high, shortstop it's, got you. Yeah, and and shortstop's not uh, close uh, to that. I'm, I'm I'm looking as as we go here because I I know that the first I looked this up before we. We started first base was 800 um, and shortstop is 753. So if you're a 900 OPS, it looks a lot better if you're a shortstop than you are a first baseman. So the um, war, the difference in war then is more have to do with that than it does defense not being rewarded for first baseman then. It's more about yeah, the OPS I, being higher. I think it's it's part and part there. Um, but yeah, shortstops certainly have, tend to have higher defensive run saved. Center fielders tend to have higher defensive run saved than first base. And that hurts uh, a first baseman's cause. I mean, how uh, are you ever going to have an MVP at first base if it stays the way it is right now? Metrics, the metrics stay the same. Cause well, so much, then so I guess you got to metrics. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> typically say this, but you got to push the metrics over a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, in, in, in fairness, like I, I think we've, so uh, Tyler Kepner and I were talking about this uh, yesterday, and then it would be like Freddie Freeman is the kind of player 
who you would like to get that one World Series opportunity and that one MVP award that becomes yeah. a signature yeah. for his season, for, for his career. Because right now he doesn't have that super signature moment right. of you know the walk-off home run in the playoffs or right. something. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, the, the biggest signature thing he's got for his Hall of Fame credentials, other than the consistency of everything, mm-hmm. is the hugging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he can't even do that now. <laughs> right, exactly. It took that and, away. Like I, uh, I mean, I've, and first I've base watched chatting Mets. like the mayor at Cincinnati. Right, I watch the Mets more than any team, and he he destroys the Mets. Yeah, and to me, he's like he's going to be a lock Hall of Famer. Yeah, but um, I I understand that 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 he's not necessarily that good against everybody, but he's shoot, he's he's very very good. Uh, the analogy I was making in my head was like. In New, in New York, there, there's the hockey goalie Henrik Lundqvist, mm-hmm. who played for the Rangers like 15 years. He was there when they were bad. Uh, he's been there when they were very good. And he got his one shot at the cup. He didn't get it, uh, but it certainly was kind of a signature for what was a very, 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 very good career. Um, and that, that Freddie Freeman kind of should have uh, a similar kind of thing. Well, you know, the thing is, he was having his best year in 17 when he broke his wrist. Yeah. His start, I mean, his numbers were like kind of like they are this year. I mean, he had he was having a phenomenal year. It was early, but he broke his wrist in May and, and then rushed back and got back like two or three weeks ahead of schedule in like seven weeks just before the All-Star break, uh, but didn't have the same power. So that year, it could have been his 45 homer year, 40, 45. But uh, this year is, is is the best season he's had other than that one. And this one's going to end with numbers that you're not going to be able to put into any kind of a context, really, right? You know, except yeah, even this year in general, there's it's not going to have much if you're trying to make a Hall of Fame case for somebody. A 60 right. game season, it's not. It's going to just be one you overlook because guys will have to take out all the yeah. look at where they ranked leadership leaders uh, among the leaders that yeah. year, and guys just aren't going to do that when they're voted it's for a Hall wash. of Fame. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this year he's putting up phenomenal numbers. He ranks in the top two or three in the majors in, like, just about every major category except home runs, and he's not far back in that either. But, you know, ribbies, average, OPS, OBP. Um, and then you can get into deeper stuff too. But, yeah, he's, he's having a phenomenal year. He really is. But um, So the Braves are 23rd in the majors in defensive runs saved this year with minus eight. And – just to show it's not, you know, fluky for those out there that don't really put much value in it. Most of the top teams are in the top half in DRS. Indians and White Sox are tied for second in the majors with 27. So that's 27 compared to the Braves minus eight in this, what, seven weeks into this season. And the Cardinals are first. Does that surprise you at all? No, no, definitely not. Yeah. They were really good last year. Yeah, second base uh, and yeah. Yeah, so they've they've got Colton Wong and Goldschmidt, yep. and Paul DeYoung is is better than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Yeah, uh, their outfield has been very good this year, even beyond Harrison Bader. Their younger guys, mm-hmm. um, to, uh, mm-hmm. O'Neill and Carlson, were good. Uh, they are just they don't have any weak spots. Yeah. like every every guy on their team, yeah. even their bench guys, they all can they all can go get it. Malena still still good. Yep, relatively good catching too. Um. So yeah, the Dodgers are just behind the the White Sox and the Indians, and then the Cubs uh, right behind them with twenty two. So really, it's all the best teams, and the Braves are kind of uh, the exception of the Braves and the A's among division leaders are the only ones that are in the bottom half. Down where the Braves yep. are, the teams right around them are the Red Sox, Tigers, D backs, A's, and Royals. So one good team among them are right around the Braves. My theory on that is that you can, like, if you're good at defense, you're probably good at, like, other things because you probably have some pretty good athletes on your yeah. team. Uh, if you're bad at defense, uh, in order to win, you better be really, really good at something else. Offense. Either striking everybody out or you better just be hitting the ball yeah, out of the park. They're doing that. Uh, with, you know, like a Yankees team uh, hitting a lot of home runs uh, or a Blue Jays team that until recently was playing pretty well. They're terrible defensively, but they they can yeah. they can score it. Yeah, the Braves are average defensively this year, but their offense is just ridiculous. It's insane. I mean, I've never seen one as deep and loaded as this team is this year. Everybody in the lineup can do damage, too. It's not like you don't have a guy up there that doesn't hit for power, just hits for average or gets on base. I mean, everybody hits for hits for power in this lineup. So, 
And then the bullpen's really deep, even though a couple of guys have not performed up to expectations like Will Smith. They've had some other guys like A.J. Mentor who've far exceeded expectations. So, And O'Day has been good, you know. So very deep bullpen. Uh, rotation, as you know. <laughs> the six guys that came into the season projected to be the uh, fight for the five spots. Right now, not one of those guys is active. Well, now with Cole Hamels, one of them is the one guy that's been out yeah. all year. <laughs> yeah, and free. I got a random wrong. question. Um, just as you mentioned um, hit probability earlier. I saw a ball Ozuna hit this year about seven thousand feet, and it was you know it was like one hundred ten miles an hour, perfect launch angle and everything. And it the hit probability was like ninety four percent. Or I'm just curious. I'm just curious when why that's can't they not fix a hit. That, that that thing. We we know why it is. That's, that's yeah. That's that's first of all, that's not our company. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Else. But I can I can answer it because I feel like I, I can comfortably answer it. They base that they create that number based exclusively on the launch angle and the exit velocity. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take into account the like fence. whether it was hit to center field, left field, right field. It just takes into account like the angle at which it left the bat and the exit velo. It doesn't. So there are instances where you meet those two criteria <laughs> and hit the ball straight away center and the guy catches it on the wind. And the wind's blowing in or something. Because yeah, right. it was like 450 Correct me least. if I'm wrong, but it doesn't take into account the fence. Right. This, right. The, the, it, that's taken into account. The guy can just oh, keep sprinting okay. right through the fence and go catch it. Yes. So oh, that's a okay. fatal I mean, that flaw sense. in that thing. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any it's, sense, but that makes sense. It's a nice, about. fun tool. It just like anything else, it, it's got a flaw. Is, it has little imperfections. Well, we've got one for you because there's another one, yep. another Marcelo Zuna one. He hit the ball, the hardest one. He had a three homer game in Boston. Well, the longest one he hit, he had two over the monster that cleared the cleared the wall. But the longest one he hit was the one to dead center. Everybody at Boston, Castigliano, uh, uh, the writers that have been there 25 years, nobody had seen a ball land where this one did in center field, up on the kind of a perch above the batter's eye. So then the estimate comes down. Everybody's waiting for 480, 490, 500. It's like 435, right? <laughs> so we get an explanation the next day. Frenchie, Jeff Francoeur was talking to somebody, and they said, yeah, they measure it where the ball stopped. I'm like, how are there still stadiums where they use that, where it screws up everything? Because that becomes a stat where we'd rather you not even give us that one if you're going to give us where the ball stopped, because that's irrelevant. Because if you do that, then like if a guy hits a line drive home run, say the scoreboard in Wrigley Field in left center, if a guy hits a line drive home run, and say the ball was still on the way up, it was going to go 500 feet, but it stops at the scoreboard. Then it's 420 feet. Who cares? You know what? It means nothing. They have to give it where it's supposed to land. That's what you're supposed yeah. to give. Agreed. But so we, we deal with this every night at ESPN. Uh, it's terrible. They can't even agree on the right on the right way because I know they have the they have like that the, seems weird because I thought that that was how I thought that I thought the, it was handled where too. it's supposed to land is how they do it. Yeah, it is how it is how they do it, but it's not yeah. how they did it there. It was where it stopped. I know because it, 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 that screws up everything if you have one park that's doing it that way, you know, or one part of the park they're doing it that way. You know, if you're not using the arc thing where you decide on one of the three arcs and here's where it would land and you have the lines on, you know, anyway. It's like you don't even want to acknowledge it and call it 435 because it sounds ridiculous because anybody watching at home knows, you know, it was the highest exit velo. Guys were in a dugout said it sounded unlike anything I've heard all year, the way it came off the bat. And then the estimate's like 50 feet short of the two that he hit over the monster. But anyway, we had back. Well, we can agree on home run robberies, right? Yeah, like you've had two good ones this month, Duvall and, and Ozuna. Oh, yeah, man. Duvall's done it both ends. He's just been phenomenal. But, yep. dude, we had back-to-back three homer games at, at at Fenway, man, by Ozuna and Duvall. It's like then the stat comes through that nobody's ever done that in the majors. And Duvall thought, 
And Duvall said, yeah, I was thinking, if, but I'm looking around and going, that's pretty, that's a lot. Cause you could tell this ballpark's been here a long time. I'm like, no, I'm not at the ballpark anywhere, <laughs> dude. It's never been done. Yeah. And he was just blown away that it had never been done by anybody anywhere on one team. Anytime you have a yeah, stat, you guys take leagues. into account how the ball's flying with your stats. Oh, man. <laughs> what have you flying. thought about that? Yeah. Mark, because it seems to, it just seems like the ball, and some nights especially, like they've got a batch of balls that are like Super Bowls this year, even yeah. more than last year. I well, the so the home run rate is is pretty comparable. Yeah. It's like down a, a smidge, but some um, nights. But I know, it's, but like recently, I know that it's been mm. higher, like higher, and uh, yes, and I, I, as someone that grew up on um, Mookie Wilson and Vince Coleman. And Willie McGee and um, the Mets Cardinals rivalry yeah. and Mets Cubs rivalry of the '80s. Uh, I do kind of miss that yeah. uh, at times, and I would say that the sport has very much gotten away from that. And, um, I guess such is life at this point. Yeah, I think you know. I think a lot of it's the strike zone. I don't know if there's any any come numbers for that, but I, for me personally, I feel like the strike zone has gotten so tight, especially with the pitch technology over the last few years that teams have almost just decided you have to have a flamethrower because you, you can't have a guy, you know, like Greg Maddox getting heat pitch in any era. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're getting two or three inches off the plate, then maybe you can throw 89 and hit the glove. But now that you have to throw it in that box, there's very few guys that are that have good enough control to, to really pitch in this league um, and those lower velocities. So it feels to me like teams are just going toward um, guys just throwing absolute gas and they'll take the walks and – and then the hitters are basically just selling out. You know, it's so hard to hit the stuff they're getting that they're just swinging for the fences. And you combine that with the ball flying the way it is, it's like, why not try to hit the homer since it's so much easier now? Speaking of Marcelo Zuna, that's another reason. Uh, I mean, not it's just one of the many, but why the Braves' defensive runs saved or are down a little bit. In left field, before he got moved strictly to DH, he played quite a bit of left field early on. And he is, ooh. He's an adventure in left field, man. I don't know how this guy won a gold glove in 2017. I know that's not real scientific. A I thought lot that of was times. an offensive award. Yeah, it used to be, but you know, <laughs> by 17 they had combined the the sabermetric element into it. So yes, it was a little more sophisticated by then. I mean, he's really fallen off defensively because you could watch him that year. He went from that to that atrocity that he committed in St. Louis where he went up the outfield wall and the ball landed yeah. on the warning track. By the way, was he charged an with error. an error on that? No, nope. <laughs> probably not. Because <laughs> it didn't get near him, did he? So uh, I'm thinking he probably wasn't charged an error. <laughs> One of the biggest no, I don't think he was. With, I think with Ozuna, what your what your issue is, at least with – I know that he's – first of all, he's a left fielder. Like he should – if you put him somewhere else – yeah. You harbor a little bit of a risk. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of uh, great plays. No. Uh, to his credit, you probably you probably can't come up with any. Uh, uh, no. He was someone we we chart like a web gemish kind of thing, and uh, his numbers in seventeen and eighteen are much better yeah. uh, with those than his numbers in nineteen and twenty. Yeah. Now he's just <laughs> he actually played one game in right field this year. It's like oh. Ooh, why are you doing that? And but then left field is where he was, and uh, it was an adventure. Every ball hit out there. It's just you know, but he's been a great sign because he's been so good offensively and, and filled right in with Donaldson at, at cleanup behind Freddie, or basically a third. Late lately, they've had Freddie batting second because you know with the DH with Ozzy back and batting ninth, you know it makes sense to have Freddie batting second for the first time in his career, really. Um, so they're sticking with that right now. So. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. This is The Athletic's Shiel Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. 
Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. But yeah, Ozuna's got a hell. He's a hell of a hitter, but he's he 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 is going to benefit from the uh, DH now being universal. Hey, do you think it's going to be uh, adopted next year? You what do you hear, Mark? Um, I would uh, I would think so. I, think I so have too. a feeling a few things are going to be yeah. uh, adopted next year. It it seems like the extra like, inning rule. Yeah, the extra inning rule. The sixteen teams in the playoffs. Oof. Uh, oh, I, don't I, I haven't. I don't know. I about haven't that heard one. anything. It's just kind of like a feel for this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it too. I agree with you. I don't. I don't, I don't think like the sixteen team, team thing is because Manfred seems to be out alone on that. Him and the owners, but the players and other people don't are, are not big on that one. I don't think. I mean, if you gave him a salary floor or something like that, it's going to have to be a trade. It's not just something that the players are going to want to agree to. It's too much, man. All of a sudden, it's like the NBA where more teams make it than don't. Ugh. Yeah, I, I feel like it's bad for any sport to have a team make the playoffs with a losing record. Absolutely. And that that only happened a few times in baseball when you have, you know, your normal playoff format. But And, that, you know, another problem for me with it is your teams kind of stop – a lot of teams kind of stop trying for, for a few years and all of a sudden – instead of coming up with ways to force them to try harder, you almost enable them to try less and, and still make the playoffs. I, I think it's good for fans because your team could be playing for something in September and playoffs are always fun, but it, it kind of dilutes the, the the whole playoff aspect and the regular season for me. It absolutely does. And when you have a 162-game season, you can't afford to dilute the season. It has to be no. important. No, it's already, it's already long enough. Right. So then the other thing, though, is – how are you going to have to cut back from 162 to 154 to do this? I would think because you're not going to have the bubble in a normal year. So you're going to have to have two travel days in, in right. two to three right. travel days in this long series. Yeah. That's the only way they're being able to squeeze it in this year with that extra round. It's no, no travel days past the first round. So. Yeah. And, and then, but the problem with that is then you kind of start all over with all your stats and records and, and comparing guys to past years with, with, you know, eight less games. Well, you're already doing that though. You're comparing guys 162 now to guys that played yeah, 154. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you're going back to 140 or something. Yeah, yeah. It's not that big a difference. So, what you know? What's what? What's what? You've been able to do a lot of things this year that would have never gotten away with, obviously. But installing rules in midstream, this thing with having no travel days. While I'm going to like it because we're not going to probably cover. You know, we're not going to be there, and you don't want to have the off days if you're not there. Um, you, if you think about it, GMs, I mean, some of them had to have thought this might happen. But at the trade deadline, you got to think some GMs would have put more emphasis on adding a starting pitcher if they'd known there were going to be no off days after the first round. You no know, off or, days. And also, if 16 teams weren't no, making it, no you know, that's days, another period. thing. It, it takes away that drive to make that big deal because you can sneak in anyway. Yeah, but then you get in the playoffs though, and a lot of these teams like the Braves, and, and they're they're not alone at all. I mean, I don't know no. any team that's got five starters, but no. there's a lot of teams with only three starters. And once you get past the first round, where you know best of three, you can get away with three starters, obviously. But you you can't do that in a best of five when you play five straight days. I mean, no. unless you have two guys going short rest, and then a best yeah. of seven, you know, you can't do it. You're gonna have to have four or five starters. Unless you go bullpen game, which people you're going to see multiple bullpen games by teams in the playoffs, and people were doing that last year anyway, so that's not really radical anymore. So, but which sucks because I hate tuning into a playoff game, and it's a bullpen game that just does not feel right for me in the playoffs. Just doesn't feel right. Feels like a a team's desperate. You know, something happened that they lost a guy, and they and they're desperate to do this, but it just doesn't feel right at all. Twenty years from now, though, it'll feel feel yeah, feel that's familiar. True. Yeah, the game's always changing. I mean, we we've got me and Dave have come so far on a lot of the changes <laughs> in the game just in the last year and a half. 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm there with you on a good number of them. Yeah, I got to change Martin. my my bio at the athletic on my thing because I just realized it says that he hates the DH. I got to change yeah, that. Yeah, you like it because <laughs> I'm okay with it now. I mean, I don't like it, but I don't hate it anymore. I I, I actually thought the games would be a lot less uh, enjoyable to watch after being a National League guy all these years, and they haven't been. I actually have kind of liked it. You know, I thought I thought all the games were going to be like Yankees Red Sox and go four and a half hours, and that hasn't been the case. So, you know, it's kind of nice not watching you know Fultonavich bat, to be honest. But <laughs> it's kind of entertaining at the same time, though. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody bunts anymore anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know, even the pitchers weren't bunting anymore. It seemed like, but you know, bunting at least not getting them down. You know, um, and you would think bunting would come back because with the extra inning rule, you really would think that teams would be would want a guy to be able to put a bunt down. You know, yeah. Because with the extra inning rule, teams just look stupid when they don't go up there and even try ever try to bunt in the extra inning rule and try to score that run. Because it's That's, so well, especially if you're the home team and it's still tied. Yeah. But some teams, you obviously just don't work on bunting at all. And, you know, once they leave spring training, they never work on it again. So all of a sudden, they're not going to ask a guy to, to go out there and bunt, you know, against a guy, a reliever throwing 98. Yeah. Hey, Mark, one, one thing I know you don't have too much time left. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was um, pitch calling for catchers yep. and, and how that's all factored in, or if it is factored in, or if you've ever thought of a way to um, try to put a value on it. I know it's hard. Yes, so this is one of the great, um, I think, statistical puzzles that I think people that work in the field that I do would like to be able to unravel. Uh, the idea that, um, that one catcher is better at game calling than another, and like you can compare Travis and Tyler in terms of their framing mm -hmm. and in terms of their stolen bases. Uh, and in terms of a few other things, and you can look at e even at their ERAs, and you can see that mm -hmm. uh, Tyler is two runs better uh, behind the plate than Travis is, and you can make adjustments, and you can put values on that. But in thinking about it, the idea of trying to award credit to the catcher for a missed swing or a, you can award credit to the catcher for a called strike based on like the framing and, and things of that sort. But if you were going to try to award credit to a catcher for a missed swing or a weak ground out or a pop out, um, it would be really difficult to do it. Now you would want to give the, the catcher credit like in a situation where he, um, you know, he sequences right, um, <clears throat> change up fastball, uh, fastball change up say over a four pitch sequence to get a guy out. Uh, but again, how you, what you have to try to figure out and what the statistical people and the, the people I think in Eric's position, um, players, former players, there needs to be like some sort of meeting of the minds as to yeah. how much credit does the catcher get and how much credit does the pitcher get for something like that. And I think that it's a really tricky uh, puzzle. Like we can watch and I can tell you that I think that Flowers is way better mm -hmm. than Travis Darnell. Um, but there are going to be some things that I think would surprise us if we could figure out a way to do it. I don't know what it is, though. Yeah. It, you know, just for me, like if you look at my career stats thrown to um, Brian McCann and David Ross, I have like a 1-5 ERA or something. And then you look at my career stats um, thrown to everybody else, it's probably like a 6. And for me, it was, it was the little things those guys would do, like telling me to move on the rubber, which it's so there's no way to calculate it, obviously. But David Ross was really good um, knowing what pitches I could execute. And also he would make adjustments for me. Like if I missed or arm side two or three times in a row, even if fastball in wasn't the right pitch to call, he would call it because he knew that it got um, my mechanics locked back in and my direction locked back in to, to enhance my other pitches. Um, so, you know, just stuff like that. And then also knowing what, pitches your pit, pitchers capable of executing like you know say say a 2-0 changeup is the right pitch here but you got a pitcher that cannot execute it um you know whether you call it or not now again i mean i know there's there's no way to put it's hard to put value on that but i think a lot of it when you look at all those stats you know maybe you could even just compare like a, a pitcher's average era through his career and if it gets better or worse thrown to certain catchers and and how they how they are compared to pitchers averages 
Yeah. Um, it, I, it's complex. I, again, it's, what's that? It's complex. I get it. It is. It's a tricky um, puzzle that it would be really cool to like figure it out. And the thing that you talked about with the David Ross and being able to get your, your arm slot fixed um, by calling the right pitch, like, that's a, that's a measurable in some ways. Right. It just isn't a measurable. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's for right now. That's an intangible. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and that's one of those things where I think when people say intangibles, mm-hmm. some of the intangibles can be measured. We can, we can figure those out, but that one is a true mm-hmm. uh, intangible yeah. of the moment. Like leadership. Uh, and that's a, that's like a great one to know for someone like David Ross. Mm-hmm. And it shows it's things like that, 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 heighten his value um, yeah. and that that made him made teams like the cubs want to get him at the end of his career for a guy yeah, or even like brian mccann you know if there was a way to value who he was behind the plate it could push him into the hall of fame so it's interesting mark that you're a guy who obviously is so well versed and in, in advanced in the very very cutting edge advanced metrics and all that but you guys in that field acknowledge the intangibles and leadership and all that and how important it is, right? You just can't quantify think, it, but you know how important I, it is. I think what we say is, is I know there are some that will be skeptics on this, but the thing that he was talking about specifically with the arm slot and David Ross, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that that can't be measured yet. Someday it could be. So for I would, I would call it a now, a now intangible as opposed to a then intangible um the leadership stuff there's a lot going on i know with teams with regards to mental skills uh Mm -hmm. evaluations and uh brain evaluations and things of that sort uh Mm -hmm. to try to get better reads uh on players in that regard and that that's again that like whenever we talk to teams it seems like that always comes up that that seems to be a high priority for them because they a lot of the things on the basic frontier except for what we're talking about with the pitcher catcher uh, thing, uh, most things have been figured out. Yeah, uh, there aren't a lot of things like Eric. The thing that Eric brought up hasn't been figured out yet. There aren't a lot of things like that these days. Yeah, and even you know if you're great at framing, but you're an idiot, you, you're still you, you can score really high at that position defensively. But a lot of pitchers don't want to throw to you. You know, I I just think it's an interesting discussion. Something that's that's hard to put value on, but really important. Hey, I had one before you leave, Mark. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, Dansby Swanson leads yep. leads the majors in defensive runs saved at shortstop this year. The, yep. the Braves are first in that position with nine, but is only tied for 15th in DEF at the shortstop position, which stands for defensive runs above average for those not out there uh, or, or who aren't aware out there. Uh, according to Fangrass Glossary, it measures the players' defensive value relative to league average across all positions. So how does a guy – rank at the top of the majors at his position in defensive run save, but right in the middle in DEF? That's a great question. I don't fully know how they get to the DEF number. I'll give you why he's high in the DRS number, and maybe it will kind of give you, guide you to an answer mm-hmm. uh, in a way. Um, I looked at, I watched him the other day. I went through like his very bests mm-hmm. to see why he was getting like value. Mm-hmm. He was getting a lot of value for the stuff that he was making coming across second base mm-hmm. um, yeah. where he was um, going up the middle to try and make plays. Um, I was a little surprised that he got certain values for some of them, uh, but he did. And uh, they were, I guess in the grand scheme of things, they weren't the easiest of plays to make for a shortstop. Uh, and as such, he gets rewarded for that. Perhaps in other systems of evaluation, whether it's the Statcast or the DEF or mm-hmm. whatever, they're not rewarding as high for for balls like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like that, that's one of those things that's that isn't all there. The bottom line with Swanson, though, is that he is turning balls into outs, which is yeah. the thing that you yeah. want the most out of a shortstop, certainly. Yeah. Well, it won't surprise people that the DEF leader is Cleveland this year with Lindor. Yep. Stud. But the Marlins are second in DEF at shortstop. It's a team, nondescript team that people don't even know who they've got. But they're good. We've seen them a lot. they got some damn good arms. Anyway, always interesting, man. We really appreciate your uh, explaining this stuff. It's uh, It adds a lot, I think people that don't quite understand a lot of the metrics. Some of them I don't understand, oh. but I've gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. 
Happy to help. Uh, happy to have discussions. Uh, the, the pitching one in particular is very intriguing and uh, one that could probably be continued over an extended period of time. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate cool. it, man. Yep. All right. See you guys. All right. Eric. Yeah. Did you see Cole last night? Yeah. Okay. He's obviously a different pitcher than he was in Philadelphia, where where most Braves fans probably last saw him because he went over maybe maybe they saw him at the Cubs, but then he went to the Rangers for Rangers for a couple of years before he came to the Cubs. Anyway, this is a guy that used to throw mid nineties, right? I mean yeah. Yeah. mid mid maybe even upper nineties occasionally, but then he had that change up curveball with it. He's now eighty eight, eighty nine, and that's with his four seamer, but he's got all the pitches still. Do you think he can still – I saw Moilo put a uh, – he tweeted something that Moilo thought after watching him, despite the line, that he was even more convinced that he can help the Braves and, and be successful in the po- in the postseason. Do you feel the same way or would you, what – Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, you look at what John Lester's done. Yeah. Lester was the same way. You know, I mean, it's, it's so hard to analyze off a three-inning start. Yeah. Um, and – you know, if he's a young guy, I'd be saying stuff like he's just got to get over that hump or he looked good early and then he fell apart or he couldn't avoid the mm-hmm. beginning. And, you know, I guess, you know, having that trek record, it does a lot for you. And and it's easy to reel off excuses for guys with veterans when you've seen what they've done in the past. But even then, you know, if he just had the pitch count built up where he could go back out, right. um, it, was, it was one bad inning, you know, it, yeah. he, and because his pitch count was so low, he had to come out of the game. So the overall line uh, didn't look great. But even watching him throw multiple pitches for strikes, hit different hit different spots, um, he was hitting locations. You know, I, I just felt like you know he just had his one inning. That normally, if he was built up to 100 pitches, he might go sit you know three more, and then you get a quality start out of him. Yeah. It's not dominant, but um, that's one of the things that veterans are really good at is putting that inning behind him and continuing through their start. Um, and he didn't get a chance to do that, but. Overall, I thought I, I thought he looked pretty good. I know the velocity's not there, but I think he can still pitch without it. Those first two innings were damn impressive. He great, yeah, yeah, yeah. The breaking ball still really breaking really ball's good. good. The cutter's good. The changeup yeah, looked great. He got a got a lot of bad swings on the changeup, but just look, you know, he's throwing it where he wanted to. Um, and the cutter for me, the cutter is the neutralizer, and that's the reason I think he can still pitch at eighty nine, mm-hmm. you know, ninety ninety one in that in that area because he's got a way to get in on on righties. And speed him up inside and make him respect the inner part of the plate and still um then he can go back to his changeup. Yeah, and he didn't get any help on that one walk either. No, no. Really close and pitch. That's one of those things that could change the whole start. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, it's just it's so refreshing to see a veteran like that out in the mound because it's <laughs> so much presence, man, compared it, to you young guys that are just feeling their way. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what almost anybody that's watched a lot of baseball would tell you is it, it was just his demeanor, the way he was handling himself, the way he went about it yeah. was comforting. Um, yeah. I, you know, I know it wasn't, it wasn't a dominant start and wasn't what everybody was hoping for out of him. You would have much rather seen him just go three shutout or, or, or four innings, one run, but um, just seeing him on the mound felt pretty damn good. If he would have just gone, if they would have said, you know, he's only going to go, you know, 40 pitches first time out and he'd only yeah. gone two innings. Yo, Everybody would have been like, right now. oh, yeah. it was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. really only a span of like three batters, you know? Yeah. And everybody has bad innings regardless. Because after the two doubles and walk to start that inning, then they scored their two runs, what, on a sack fly and a ground out? Yeah. So. Yeah, or a double. I think something down the line. but It was a double, walk, double. Yeah. And then the sack fly and a, and a ground out. So, I mean, they so if the walk the doesn't hard. happen, you know, if he gets that guy out, then you can't have a sack flag. There'd be two. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I thought he looked good, and I was a little surprised the velo wasn't any higher because just watching him, you know, it's not like they were teeing off on him at all. You know, he's got, he's got the full. Well, that's pitch. what the changeup does. You know, the, yeah. the changeup makes his fastball better, and and the cutter makes his changeup better. It, throwing that cutter in on righty's hands is is kind of the great neutralizer uh, if you're if you're a lower velocity. Um, left-handed pitcher, which 90, 90 is now, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Um, his ability just to make that pitch, and that, that's kind of what he's ridden the last two or three years anyway. That's been he didn't have that when he was when he was dominant in Philly. It was a four seamer and, and the big curveball and the changeup. Right. He's kind of mixed it up. But you know, just going back to that Lester comparison, John Lester lives off his cutter. Mm-hmm. He can throw it back door and he can throw it in on righties. Like he controls it so well. Um, but you know you. What what excites you about John Lester when he comes to your team is that presence and 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 his ability to pitch and you know he can handle big situations. So, uh, you 
you feel good about having Cole Hamels take make a playoff start just regardless because you know who's going to show up. Yeah, and he's done it so many times too. He's yeah. itching to get in there. You know, he's not obviously not scared. He wants to do it. That's what he's been aiming for. People got to remember, it's been 11 and a half months since the guy pitched in any yeah. game. The only yeah. game, the thing, closest thing to a game was simulated game conditions at Gwinnett. And that ain't a game at all, man. So this was his first game. So it's basically like his first spring training start, you know? So he said, uh, yeah, well, he said no a spring training. He said a spring training he usually doesn't even have his four pitches like he did yesterday. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the control and the pitchability all looked like it was there. I mean, you can worry about the velocity or not, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably also, it, you know, the awkwardness of, I don't know if he's ever pitched in an empty major league stadium before either. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't, he's not used to it like the other guys have gotten used to it. So, uh, the other thing was that really stands out is Acuna, man. All of a sudden, he went from searing hot to, good Lord, he's striking out every other at bat. More than that. He's like one for 23 with 13 strikeouts. I, I mean, I but just, those are the things that, that, so, you know, what I talk about a lot is the amount of time it takes you to make adjustments and the amount of time it takes you to fix your slumps and stuff. Those are the things that he's learning where if he's in the minor leagues and yeah. he's got some hitch in his swing, he probably cruises through it because he's not facing as good a pitching. Um, but that's what's scary about him, too, is he's so young. He doesn't even know how to make these adjustments right. yet. He's learning at the major league level. He's maturing and turning into a major leaguer, but he's just so damn good he's already in the majors. Um, so, you know, I don't worry about that stuff with him. I think it's just a matter of, you know, when he finds his way out of this slump, the next slump he hits, he'll be able to find his way out of it a little sooner. Yeah. And you get answers, you know, that you have to find the answers to, to have them next time. So if he's if he's doing something like dropping his hands or swings a little long or or, or, his, or his timings off, he could, he's going to have a key or a mechanism he can go to after he finds his way out of this slump. He'll know what his key was, what got him out of the slump, and he'll remember what he was doing wrong. And that's that's what you see like with veterans that have fine tuned it for so long. You know, like a guy like Freddie. Freddie he'll have his slumps too, but yeah. he seems to be so damn consistent because I think for me, when he has a rough game, it only takes him you know one round of BP yeah. to to figure out what he was doing yesterday. And Acuna right. hasn't had that time to learn all these things because he hasn't ever played at a challenging enough level for himself to have to learn them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I don't know if it's related at all or if it's just sheer coincidence, but the slump started in the game where he fouled the, the, the ball off his foot. Yeah. And since then, I don't know if teams are seizing upon uh, seeing all these films of all these strikeouts inside on these pitches he's taken inside, but it's like he's not able to adjust to these inside. He's getting pounded inside, and he's and he's a lot of times he's drawing back like it's going to hit him. You know, like he's expecting, you know, the ball to come in and it goes right. It's, it's catching a plate. They're legitimate strikes. I, and it's probably just, you know, sheer coincidence that it started that night when he fouled a foot off his, uh, fouled he probably the ball doesn't want to foul another ball off his foot. So, you yeah, know, he's it, not swinging at those pitches. It might be. <laughs> I mean, that, that's something that happens in your head too. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. but everybody Audience tries to pitch him in. That's why he gets yeah. hit because that's really the only place to go against right. him. Um, but yeah, I would say more than anything, he probably just doesn't, he's probably been timid about fouling another ball off his foot after feeling that. And it, it could yeah. still be a little sore. He doesn't want to do it again. Meanwhile, Ozzy Albies is like, man, that the, the difference that guy's made since he's come back. I mean, the, the fact they're doing this, well, they haven't two out of the last three Not games, the, last the fact days, that they're but. rolling up so much offense with Acuna doing nothing the last week, you know, that's just how deep they are. Yeah, that's just that depth, and that's what's crazy is you can afford with an offense like yeah. this, you can you can afford for Acuna to go cold for a week. Yeah, and it doesn't even. Yeah, I mean it's it's hurt in the last couple of days, but um, that having that depth, man, having a lineup this deep it, that you can have a basically an MVP caliber player go ice cold and still feel pretty damn good about your odds of putting up a seven spot tonight. It's it's something. I mean, we've never seen an offense like that from the Braves. No. Well. They got their last road series of the year at the Mets. They got it. The the schedule is favorable for the Braves. They're they're down to what a two and a half, two, two and a half game lead over the Marlins. The Marlins have got to jam in all these games, these doubleheaders in the last 10 days of the season. Whereas the Braves, one game a day, starting Friday, uh, with and and two of those, two of their three series, they play the Marlins in the middle, 
ends up being a big series, but they got Boston the last weekend. Boston was just mailing it in at this point and three against the Mets who aren't doing much either. So six of the remaining games are against those two teams. It's going to take yeah, a lot for the Braves not to, not to, not to hang on and win this thing. Yeah. And even if they don't win the division, I mean, yeah. a couple of rough games against Baltimore shouldn't talk you out of it, but no. you know, it's, it's been tough starting pitching for a while. There's been some signs that they might be in some trouble, but if they can just get in and then they got Hamels and, and freed healthy yeah. and Ian Anderson, I mean, you can put them up against anybody. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Wright, how he follows up that really good start that he had, how, how he does in this next one. Because Yeah, because you're going to need him. Yeah, you're going to need him, obviously. No off days. So, And All get right. a look at Fulte. I feel like you got to take a look at Fulte, too. You know, he's making the one more appearance down in Gwinnett. I think they could next week. Uh, so they're going to need somebody, whether it's Enoa, they can start him and do that again because he was really impressive. He was pretty good, yeah. But if if uh, Fulte makes progress in that next that, that, – latest uh, outing at Gwinnett. We could see him for sure. You would think they'd want to see him, just give him one shot, just to see if he is viable at all for the postseason. Because well, that's a, you know, bringing him I mean, up how much more confident him. are you in, yeah. in if right, even if right has a good start, how, you know, it's a, for me, it's a flip of a coin. Cause if you get the good full to you, wow. he's pretty damn good, you know, but I feel like you got to take a look at him just to even make that decision between if he, if it was coming down to him and right. Well, they're going to go with Wright if he pitches at all in these last two starts. And they loved what he did the other day. But, yeah. Yeah, he looked good. He hasn't done it in back-to-back games ever. So, all right. It's going to be interesting. We'll talk again on uh, Tuesday after the – they will have – it's going to be a lot clearer after the weekend series against the Mets and after the Marlins keep up with their marathon, what they're having to do down there. Yeah. Uh, All right. We'll talk uh, Tuesday. 7.55 is real. We're out. (laughs) 